Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba da ba ba ba. Business isn't for everybody. So I don't yeah. want everyone to think that they should rush into being an entrepreneur or starting their own company or, you know, kind of jumping into this rat race. It's competitive, it's exhausting, you know, it's sometimes thankless, and there's no guarantee to success. But for those who wake up early, put a whole lot of work in and stay up late, typically you're rewarded. But yeah. in this game, if you're going to jump in here, that mindset that you have as an athlete will, will benefit you greatly. Back in that, back in that bag again. Whoa, whoa, yeah, yeah. Hey, 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 hey. hey guys, it's Aisha Thorpe with another episode of Making the Boss. This time, I speak to former NFL athlete turned entrepreneur, Andrew Hawkins. You might know him as Hawk. We talk about his tech company, new VR game, getting his master's degree from Columbia while playing and lessons learned along the way. Listen here. How you doing today? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. It's just yeah. been a long day. <laughs> I, I can dig that. I can. It's Friday, though. So that's hopefully. Yeah. Yes. You got the weekend true. coming up. Yeah, and then we do have Monday off because it's Juneteenth, so that's good. Oh, too. yeah, that's right. Long weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, know you, I know you probably don't have Monday off. You're working. I do. I do. I have oh, my own do? company, so I got Monday <laughs> off. We definitely <laughs> observe Juneteenth in my company. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So we can dive right in. Um, first off, thank you for talking to me. I know you're super busy. So I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to chat, you know, on my podcast. So absolutely. Thanks for having me. No problem. So a lot of people know you, of course, for being an NFL athlete, but there's so much more to you, especially since you retired. So what are some other ventures that you've jumped into since? Yeah, so I I, I try to do a lot. That is actually a lot of overlap with my professional uh, football career. And so I've done everything from entertainment to um, in front of the camera, producing. I've been an executive um, in technology, obviously an investor as well. So I try to I, I try to center everything. Sports has kind of been the main through line through all of that, um, just because I, I grew up my whole life playing. Obviously, I come from a family of athletes and my whole like kind of goal with sports in general was to hopefully get to a space where I could take it beyond just on the field right and then you know then my nieces and nephews and my kids can then take whatever i've done and then take that to the next step so that's always been my goal and so sports has always been kind of a central a centralized point net mm -hmm. so um i know one of the main things that's you know fairly new for you is your mm -hmm. new vr game um yeah. can you talk about that because that seems very interesting yeah absolutely <laughs> so my company is status pro um, it's a VR technology company founded by myself and my partner, Troy Jones, who's also a former athlete. He played division one quarterback. We met in, I think, 2017 and we both kind of had our iterations of how we thought this technology was going to affect sports. We were fairly early. Um, you know, I think everybody now is kind of seeing the vision, especially with the Apple announcement recently. So you could imagine, you know, six, seven years ago, we kind of both felt like crazy people trying to tell everybody what was coming, but we kind of connected and we thought to ourselves like, yo, how can we make our own experience the value proposition for this company? And us being former athletes, 
that's kind of what VR and AR provide is the opportunity to see the world from somebody else's perspective. And so for sports fans, we grew up sports fans first and we always were longing to be on that side of it. And we know there's a ton of sports fans that didn't have our athletic ability that never got to experience that. And so that's how Status Pro was born. We used it for training um, where NFL teams use uh, the simulations that we create to get ready for games. And then we took it to gaming to give fans the opportunity to feel what it's like to be in an NFL game on the field, making the throws and playing quarterback. And so the game is called NFL Pro Air. It launched in September on all VR platforms. And it's, you know, been one of the most successful VR sports games ever so far. So we're excited about that and already head down and, 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 and working on kind of our next project. That's really cool. So this might be a dumb question, but do you have to know how to play football in order to play? Like for someone who's never played football, you know, not not me, though, but like someone like <laughs> is would it be hard for them to play something like that? No. And that's the beauty of it. You get to like it removes all the barriers of entry. Right. You know, because. To obviously play at a high level in real life football, you have to, there's years and years of training and it, and all those things go into the kind of that final moment for me and my partner's career, which is playing in front of 70,000 people, screaming fans and and everything. And people would always ask us like, hey, what, what was it like playing at that level? And I would always tell them like, oh, it's as cool as it looks. Like there's no better feeling than scoring a touchdown in front of 70,000 people and then screaming your name and you feel like, you know what I'm saying? You're the king of the world. And so the beauty of this game is we took that energy and we said, how do we democratize that? How do we give everybody that feeling where you don't have to have, you know, you be six, five with a rocket arm and have all this ability and even understand the game of football. You can get in there and essentially go right to that feeling, which is kind of been the main thing that people have gravitated to and why it's been so successful so far. Mm. So how exactly, um, like, how exactly do you play? Like, are you yeah. the athlete and you're running around your living room? Like, how, is, how does yeah. that work? So when you put the headset on, it literally transports you into another world. I know that sounds super sci-fi and crazy, but just imagine no, that sounds dope. Headset, <laughs> you're just in the middle of an NFL field. And there's mm-hmm. the stadiums around you. There's the fans. There's a, the, the PA announcers. There is the coach in your ear giving you play. So it literally is just like it is in a real game. And you have controllers. And the controllers are how you kind of throw passes. And if you want to run, you use your controllers to do so. Now, you don't run with your actual legs, but when you pump your arms, it gives you um. the ability to run as well. And so it's super immersive, man. And I think like even like starting out, as you would imagine, football fans that have been around a very long time, they've seen a lot of things. And there's a lot of skeptics around what it would be like. And early on, as soon as the game dropped, people started uploading like their videos of them playing. And it just kind of would make a viral and, you know, that kind of grassroots movement and people being like, yo, this is finally delivering on my dreams. That's what's kind of sustained us and uh, sustained our success. Yeah, that's really dope. Is it also in the metaverse, too? Yeah. I mean, technically, VR is the metaverse, right? Okay. Um, you know, we're, we're a gaming company, so it's a video game. It's, you know, you play games like a whole schedule of NFL and they're obviously bite sized versions. But you can play a whole schedule and go win the Super Bowl and and kind of start your own virtual career. So, you know, Meta is one of our big partners, um, as was Sony PlayStation. And again, just kind of for me and my partner, it was like we wanted to use our own experience to create a company. Because then it's like it's my philosophy that, you know, I, I never want to 
go in the spaces where I don't want to say I don't belong, but I don't have a passion for. I don't come from it. There's not an organic connection between me and another space, no matter how lucrative or what the opportunity is or what's hot. Like I wanted to build a company based on my own experience because I felt like my experience had value. And I feel like my value could add value to somebody else's sports experience. And so that was like the nugget. And we built a team of incredible developers, engineers, marketers, creatives that also had that same nugget of an idea that's based on my partner, Troy and I, and that's, that's the products we're building. Right. And so we feel like as more and more people see us, as more people rush into like this space, we've created a moat because we built it with real passion and real life experience that it's hard to duplicate. Yeah, I'm glad you said something about like you having a lot of skeptics at first because um, the metaverse is still like very new and a lot of people mm-hmm. are skeptic about it. Um, and a lot of people are even saying, you know, it's it's dying a little or it's losing its, mm-hmm. I guess, I don't know. I don't know. Jonas, say quiet. Like what what's your perspective on the metaverse? Do you think it's here to stay? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I don't know. Like metaverse is kind of like an all encompassing, just throw everything technology into a bucket. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's real, to be honest. And I think in some ways, even if you define it that way, we're kind of living in the metaverse already, right? Mm -hmm. I think the metaverse is, you know, and I've seen a really good definition of it, but it's essentially the transportation into living fully on a screen, almost like where most of your time is more on a screen than it is in real life. Right. And so that's where like VR or NFTs and all, they just throw everything into that bucket. What we're building, we don't call ourselves a metaverse company. We call ourselves a video game company. And Mm -hmm. except we put you in the video game. The people who want to feel that love it. Right. And there's no like, oh, this is the metaverse. No, it's like, I want to feel what it's like to play in the NFL or in the NBA or in the MLB. Well, we want to build the games to create that opportunity. Now, that being said, taking a step back into your metaverse question, I would say right now, people live the majority of their lives on screens, right? It's just not the the real life portion of it is starting to shrink. And it started with first televisions, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, televisions took a little percentage of your day and then computers. It took a bigger chunk and then phones. Well, now, I mean, for I, I guarantee the majority of people that are listening or watching this are on their phone or on a screen, obviously. And this isn't the first time they've been there. And so... Yeah, I would say that I don't think it's a fake thing. I think the word is scary just because anytime you add labels to something, I feel like, you know, people get defensive. Um, but I would I, I would I would challenge you, listener, to say how much of my day is is is, is lived on a screen. And mm-hmm. that will probably give you your own answer of if the metaverse is real or not. That is the best answer for that question I've ever heard because like a lot of people, I get it because when something is new, it can be scary and you don't like understand it. But that's true. Like our whole life is based around technology. So to say that it's dying when technology is only evolving, you know, that's a contradiction. So exactly. Exactly. Perfect. That makes perfect sense. Um, Can you see yourself making more games in the future, like with different sports? Absolutely. I think that's the goal. I think any anything where there's an athlete experience, um, we feel like we're experts in. Right. It's not just as easy as saying, oh, I see something. I've watched sports. Let me create. And a lot of people do that. And obviously we know, like with our success, there's going to spin there's going to spin up more competitors. 
we feel really confident because again, our, all our products or everything we built is from real life experience. And so, you know, I have actual videos of what it's like being in the NFL locker room at halftime of an NFL game. There's a 1% of the 1% of the world that can say that they've been there, number one. And I would say even 1% of that have actual footage the way I have <laughs> on my own cell phone because I would take my phone out at halftime because I was like, yo, this, this is cool. I wouldn't want to watch this later, right? And so that's like the, some of the, the the insights we build our products up. And my partner being a former Division One quarterback, like that's real. He knows what that process is like. And so he puts his own experience into these games. And within our company, we have, you know, between, I think we're like 50 now with full-time and contractors. And of them, 60% of them play college athletics or in the other 40% have worked on and built the biggest sports games that you can imagine. And so again, we're just kind of building a institutional knowledge that it would be silly not to continue to expand. Um, but also we feel really, really good about just kind of keeping our position. That's really dope. From your company status pro, what exactly do you do? What are the different um, services? Yeah, so we do gaming. Um, we started off in, 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 as a training company, like I said, to, you know, we took essentially the uh, next level, the next gen stats data of NFL players, which come by way of, you know, a chip that's in their shoulder pads. And we can just take that data and recreate the plays. And so basically teams use that to give their players more reps at what they might see on a game day. Um, and it puts them on the field. So they're seeing it from the same first person perspective that they will in real life, which obviously helps with them um, with, um, you know, muscle memory, as well as diagnosing a play or its coverage or a scenario that they're going to see in a real game. And so, yeah, I mean, it's using technology again to kind of power our own experience and our own knowledge, which is, you know, I think for a lot of people, technology is scary and, and a lot of people don't see themselves or a way for them to get involved in it. Um, but for us, I mean, I think the thing that we did really, thing that we did well um was find our, our kind of own lane and i would again task anybody with doing that same thing like technology is for everyone technology there's so many uh outputs and and ways you can affect it too and i think specifically for the you know black and brown communities you don't see a lot of people like you in there so it, it, it becomes a little harder to see yourself um taking advantage of that but again i would say like if you have your, your own lived experience or thing that you're passionate about a thing that you're great at there is a technology output for you it just takes a little bit of research to to kind of find to find that right avenue um and you're obviously very ambitious um i also know that you got your master's degree from columbia is that true? wow that's with a 4.0 like a perfect yeah. that's amazing um <laughs> Yeah, so you did this while you were still playing football? I did in the off season. So I would I would wow. fly back and forth to New York City every week for classes. Um my first off season I was in Florida and then my second one was in LA. So I would fly like I would Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cut off? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Wake up at like three in the morning, get on a plane at like 530 in LA, fly to New York, be in classes wow. all day till 10, and then go right back to JFK and fly back to LA that same day. So wow. yeah, it, it was it was crazy. It was hard as hell, but I think it 
it set me up for like to kind of hit the ground when, running when I retired. Because that was always my big fear. I didn't want to retire from the game of football or retire as an athlete and be put in a situation where I didn't know what was next. Because I had had that happen to me at an earlier point in my career. And so I just kind of came obsessed with like, well, no, nah, I'm not going to I'm not going to let this sport use me. I'm going to use the sport for my own advantage and getting my master's degree during it during my NFL career was a big part of that. Yeah, I definitely want to get to that because that's a big thing. I think a lot of athletes, they -hmm. don't think about while they're still playing. It's usually like after they're, you know, done that they think about stuff like that. So I do want to jump into that. But before we do, like, what did you what did you study at Columbia? Sports business, actually, which was Mm -hmm. obviously set me up for what I'm doing now. Um, The cool part about that program was that it's, it's taught by people who actually work in the sports industry. And so people who are, you know, working for the biggest networks, the biggest leagues and what have you. So I got like real uh, tutelage and mentorship from the people that are actually doing it. And obviously, as you would imagine, as I've come into this business, those are now connections that, you know, I've used and um, have been able to do business with, as well as my peers in class are now the same people that I do business with, deals with now, which is, I think, a really cool thing and one of the benefits. That's really cool. Did you see other athletes in those classes with you too? I did not. I did not. Okay. I was. I, I think I was a little ahead of the curve. Now people have been getting their degrees, you know, athletes yeah. where they get done. I think for me, it was important to do it while I was playing because, and here, here's the reason why my thought process, because, you know, I have an older brother who also played in the NFL and I have a number of other cousins and, and what have you that had, you know, varying NFL careers, both short and longer NFL careers. And, the thing that's always common is, and this is for anybody that's on top. I don't care if you're in entertainment, you're hosting, you are an executive. Um, two things. A, people remember how you treat them when you're on top, right? And also, that's your highest visibility. And you don't know how long that horizon is going to last. And so I've had, obviously, family members who got done, and they all go through the, oh, let me start to hit up some of these connects. I'm looking for something now. The thing is over. And for whatever reason, right, wrong, or indifferent, the lust, you know, it's a little lackluster when you're not currently on top. And so for me, I wanted to make sure I was maximizing that. And so I felt like if I did it while I was playing, A, it would get the the largest reach because I don't have the ability to have a conversation with every single person and then say, oh, you're pretty smart for an athlete, whatever that means. But I know if I graduate from an Ivy League school with a 4.0 while I'm playing, a, it tells you that I'm serious. B, it tells you I'm intellectually capable. Um, and C, it gives it, it gets out to as many people as possible, whether people are writing about it or covering it or what have you. So that was the idea, and you know, I would say I would say it worked to a T. Mm-hmm. Did you get noticed in class at all? I did sometimes. I think <laughs> I think early on people didn't realize it, but slowly it started to you know trickle out that by the end. Everybody kind of knew who I was and why yeah. I was there. Um, but the funny part would be when somebody like figured it out in real time, and I could see them figuring it out. <laughs> Their face. They're like, "Wait a minute!" Matter of fact, one time I was in, I was in class, and there's like a TV outside of the class, mm-hmm. and it had like, you know, ESPN or something on, and there uh-huh. was a segment where they were talking about <laughs> my team and me specifically as I'm coming into class, and one person was like, "Yo, I'm, am I tripping?" So. <laughs> Yeah, they got out eventually, though. Hilarious. <laughs> um, is it true that one of your goals is to be a general manager one day? 
You know what it was? And that was like uh, a main reason why I started going to grad school. One of the main reasons. And I don't want to say that dream is dead because it's not. I think like, you know, as you kind of go through your career, you start to put up guardrails or parameters around what that situation looks like. You know, I, I think yeah. I would be a great general manager of an NFL team. Um, I've had people tell me that I've had opportunities to interview for some of those jobs. I've had people offer me jobs in the front office. Um, but I think number one, I have to see what I, my company through. Um, that's mm-hmm. obviously the most important for me and setting my family up and also be, it has to be the right people. Right. And that's, I think everybody can understand that. Like, for something that's so big, like the NFL was such a big goal for me my whole life. And I really enjoyed my time and the teams and the people that I played for. But so much of your success is predicated off your teammate. Right. And I think I don't think that's isolated to just playing. I think that's in every job. Right. You can only be as good as people around you. And I think Mm -hmm. for something like that, that's also been a big goal of mine. I would want it to be with the right the right setup, the right organization, the right coach. Right. The right partners to say, like, yo, how do we make one plus one equal three? Yeah. You know, so I, I think eventually I'll get there. But right now I'm, I'm head down and focused on, on what I'm doing. What exactly does a general manager do? So the general manager is essentially like he, he's he's the president. And, and okay. they, most teams do have a president as well, but they run everything. They hire the coach. They sign okay. the players. They scout the players. They determine which players they're picking. Um, so everything from football operations, everything in all the ways that a, a team is set up and or how they compete or how good their team is, a lot of that trickles down from the general manager in their department. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like you said before, um, or like we said before, like a lot of athletes, they don't really think about life after sports um until they do retire. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately. I think I think it's getting better. Um mm-hmm. Than maybe when I got in the league ten plus years ago, um, but yeah, I would I would definitely say, and that's uh, a lot of guys do. I think make that mistake of not, you know, figuring out what's next um, prior to the the main thing ending. I mean, like you said, playing is probably like one of the best feelings in the world. That they're so caught up in that, you know, hype. Yeah, I, I won't say it's because. I think sometimes, I think a lot of a large majority of the time they might get caught up and it feels like this is never going to end and it's euphoric. And you got to realize every room you go into, you are it, right? Like it doesn't matter if you are the number one quarterback or you are the last guy on the roster in your own bubble, whether it's your family, whether it's your friend group, whether it's at church, whether it's going back home or even anywhere locally you go, you are revered and that is intoxicating. The other part of that is it's really, really damn hard to play professional football. Like, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of guys. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know I mean, like, even by the standards, and I know everyone knows it's tough, but it's more like it's an always on thing. You know, like when I was playing, you know, I got I got married in 2014. I didn't take a honeymoon until 2019 because oh, wow. I couldn't afford to miss a week off of my routine of training in my mind, right? Because this is something that everybody's trying to get. Everyone's always trying to take your job. There's so few amounts and it really does take a next level of focusing in to make sure you're in it. And so I think a lot of times at the end of my career, actually, when I was a free agent, there was one team I was going to sign with and their question to me was, 
are you willing to drop out of Columbia while you play here? Because in their mind, wow. like you got to focus, you got to be all in, like everybody's job attention. I do think there's some validity to that. And so, yeah, I think a lot of athletes understand, like in order to make the most out of it, to make the most money in that very finite amount of time that you have as an athlete, they got to be all in. So you, you got to be good at kind of figuring out what your balance is and when you are going to start to focus or think about what's next. Yeah. I also feel like there's so many jobs outside of just being an athlete, right? Like, like you said, general manager, and then you Mm -hmm. have your agents, your managers, your publicists. Like there's so many other positions outside of just being the, you know, main, you know, celebrity. Do you think the NFL can do a better job at highlighting those positions? Because I feel like, especially like younger kids, Looking at the NFL, they don't really know like all of the you know careers that go into you know the NFL or, or in it. I, I think as a society, we could probably do better, right? But the mm-hmm. problem is, and I don't want to say it's a problem. I'll tell you right now, you know, it's NFL money is great money. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's <laughs> like that. It's at the top of the totem pole, right? Mm-hmm. But then NBA money is a whole different kind of money, and then there's mm-hmm. MLB money, which will you know. I thought NFL everything. was the best one. Nah, like, man. Oh, nah, it's not guaranteed contracts. It, I mean, it's 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 extremely well paid, but there's uh-huh. so many football players. There's a smaller oh, yeah. amount sure. of basketball and baseball mm-hmm. players, so they get to make more. And so I think some of those things are incredible, and I think they should be highlighted just at the society. And again, I think nowadays you know more about the um the Cole Lins and the uh the Rich Pauls, and you see them building businesses in the sports without having to be, you know, the talent. Um, but at the same time, again, like it's, you know, it's, it's not always about the money with everybody. It's like people yeah. want the fame. People want to be revered. People want to be viewed that way. And I think for me, it was probably a little bit of that. You know what I mean? I feel yeah. like I was such an afterthought early on in my career, early on in my life that I was like, well, yo, I'll just, I'll become the best at this. And then they got to respect me, you know? And so, yeah, I, th- I think, you know, I think it's just who we are as a society, to be honest. Yeah. Um, there's also a lack of, you know, Black coaches and owners in the NFL. Um, why do you think that is? And do you think there are any, like, good solutions to that? Yeah, I think uh, one of the main issues is sometimes a lot, of, a, a lot of businesses, right? And that doesn't matter what corporation you're at. It relies on the buddy system. And I think that's one thing mm-hmm. I'm talking about with our company, Um we are 74% uh, people of color and women, right? Wow. And that's an important thing because it's like in the sports outside of the lines, which is also another reason why we started the company, there's not a lot of people that look like us. And they don't, like people didn't put any value on it that I played in the NFL and that I could go work here or there when I was trying to get jobs. And so that's like a big reason why, you know, we have the mission that we do as a, as a company. And I think for NFL coaches, what happens is you hire a head coach and the head coach then goes hire hires all the subsequent coaches, right? And typically that's, oh, this is my buddy that I worked with here. This is my you know friend I played with in college. I worked with this guy there that I used to hang out with and I had a great relationship with. And just as human nature, the people that you hang with are going to be like people that look like you, come from where you come mm-hmm. from, like have the same value system. And so if you're not hiring like based off of like, oh, here's the best head coach. Now let, as a company, as an organization, let me go by hire the best receiver and then force them to work well together. 
it's going to be hard to solve. But that's how the players are hired, right? Like mm-hmm. quarterback isn't drafted and then get to go pick who his receiver is because he's friends with him or go pick the running back because right. in high school together. No, they go find the best people at every position. And then the job is for you to find the chemistry and work together. I think until we get there as coaching staffs and we mm-hmm. hire them that way, it's going to be it's going to be hard to flip those numbers. Mm. Do you um do you feel that the NFL can also do a better job at hiring more women as well? I do, I do, I think so, and I, I think they've made a lot of strides too within the last couple of yeah. years. I mean, you're seeing more and more NFL coaches who are women. You're seeing a mm-hmm. uh, um, more of an importance on placed on women's football um, fans as well as like women's flag football. I just, I just did a a show for the NFL um, where we showcased like, you know, the national champion women's flag football league. I think now it's a official NCAA sport. You can get scholarships in it now. And so I think just over time it's evolving. The thing about it is the league doesn't control the organizations. So every organization is different, right? And the league who has a, a, a super huge focus on it can show all those things showcase all those things but they can't dictate what the individual franchises are doing and i think that's the gap that they got to start closing um because some franchises are much better at it than others to be honest and you know they're almost run like independent companies and i love how you said how your company is majority um people of color and women um mm-hmm. what are some if any hurdles that are you faced when you did launch your company I, th- I think, honestly, a lot of investors aren't used to seeing a tech company that looks like that, right? And I think the beauty about our just whole company is that it is the norm for us. We don't have, a, you know, um, a diversity, equity, and inclusion statement because we live it. We are yeah. it. Like we literally wanted to build a company that looked like a, a locker room. And in a locker room, people come from everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. my best friend might be a six, seven, you know, white guy from the middle of Wisconsin, right? <laughs> and so... As a company, we want people that are passionate about sports, but we want to make sure we're unturning every stone. So I think a lot of early investors weren't like used to seeing a company like ours. So as you would imagine, extra questions, um, even with some of the success we've had, you know, there's always like the moving of the goalposts. And my partner and I, as well as all the people that work within our company, we understand that and we kind of just. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Keep punching above our weight class. The other thing that we've always been told is that it's hard to, you know, find women in tech and sports and it's hard to find people of color and there's no like the and so we've just been very diligent and you know focused on making sure we want to we want to be the change that we want to see and mm-hmm. yeah i would say again kudos to the entire staff at status pro because they've done amazing things um a lot of times with less resources than some of the really big companies but i hope they all realize like the the the, the change that they're going to represent in an industry and kick doors down for for so many other people to get opportunities here right where do you see your company in the next five to 10 years? Mm, that's a good question. Um, short answer, I have no idea. But <laughs> I do think that other people are starting to see um, where things are going, right? Anytime Apple comes into the picture, 
Like Apple doesn't do anything that, you know, they, they're not, they don't take big bets. They don't think are going to like shape society. And so the fact that they just unveiled their new VR headset, obviously on top of what Meta has been doing for years with the Oculus, like, I think it's starting to become more ubiquitous. And at that stage, we were kind of the first company in um, with major sports leagues and rights to create these sports experiences. And so my hope and goal is that as more and more people with more and more interest rush into the space, you know, we'll continue to be and, and stay the go-to spot um, for sports mm-hmm. in VR. Yeah, um, I feel like you had a pretty, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you might have had a pretty easy transition from the NFL to, you know, putting a suit and tie on and bossing up only because you, you know, started while you were playing. Would you say that's accurate? I would say I had an easier transition than most of my peers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. That's really cool. So why do you think that is? Do you feel like you were just like mentally prepared to take the next level in your life? I think I was a little obsessive about it. Again, I come from a family, you know, it's like if you're if, if you're a real estate tycoon, right? Mm-hmm. And you have children and your daughter then goes into real estate, she's gonna have a leg up because she would have yeah. seen you operating the business and hearing the language and you, you know, you were teaching her like all those things. I think I benefited from that. Yeah. I think my older brother who played in the league 10 years prior to me, I got to see all the decisions he made right, the decisions he made wrong. And improve upon it. And so while I was playing, I'm not, no, no kidding. Every offseason, every downtime was devoted towards what was next. And that started my first year in the league because I didn't know how long it would last. And then mm-hmm. I ended up playing seven years. And so from interning at Under Armour to, you know, I would write publications for, you know, websites. I did marketing for sports agencies. I did, I interned with Maverick Carter and uninterrupted when they had, I think, you know, seven employees. So mm-hmm. like that experience while I was playing just helped me get just a little bit of a lead or an advantage when I was done. Um, and I think for a lot of guys, it's just, that's not the experience you you think of when you think of an NFL player, being an intern, getting coffee, yeah, <laughs> doing all those things. But, you know, I just wanted to make sure I kind of immerse myself and put myself in a position. I just want to always be learning, you know? Right. Because a lot of people aren't like that, which I think um, can hurt them down the line because you should never stop learning because, you know, that's only how you grow. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've also worked as an analyst for some NFL networks. How was that experience? Yeah, that's cool, man. So I didn't I I never thought that I would be able to do stuff in front of the camera, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's been it's been really good for me. And it's kind of been it's been great because it's given me a full kind of picture of what the sports industry is, right? From behind the camera as an executive um, at Uninterrupted in Spring Hill, um, where I was the head of business development to in front of the camera at ESPN, NFL Network, Amazon, um, Roku. I mean, you name it. And it gives me, I'm able to kind of go in and know what everybody wants, right? And when you have the answers to the test, it helps you <laughs> be a little bit more efficient, but it's mm-hmm. been really cool. Um, and I think it also set the stage for the stuff that I do on the business side as well. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, did any lessons you learned from playing in the NFL help you be an analyst or was it just like a completely different world? I think both. I think obviously the contents that I talk about in football, I learned being a player. Um, but I think more importantly is even on the business side as well, like to be an NFL football player, that process starts when you're like seven or eight. 
fall in love with the sport um, so much so that you want to learn and get better. And it's not just about ability. Most times it's actually not about ability. It's about like a mindset. And you do have to be obsessive. You do have to be able to see the 20 year vision of what this is doing. You do have to kind of isolate yourself from your peers, understanding that statistics say one in however many thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. And you got to do what is necessary to be that that one anomaly. And I think in business where a lot of athletes make the mistake or even post-career or even in hosting is that you think because you show up that that's enough. You think that hosting yeah. is, oh, I have a name, so people are going to want to see me. Or, you know, I have a name where people are going to want to do business with me. And for me, what I learned through my football experience was, again, to start at the ground floor. I don't want anything that I don't start at the ground floor at because I know it's not going to last or I know somebody else will come take it from me. Mm-hmm. But if I can start at the ground floor and I learn how to be entertaining and I learn how to pronounce, pronunciate my words and I learn to make sure that I have a certain look on my face whenever I'm asking the question and the way that I'm processing in my mind and not showing what I'm thinking, all those things is being a professional. And the same way I approached that in football, I approached it when I'm hosting or being an analyst or in business. Um, and again, I think, I think it's kind of helped, you know, create a reputation of professionalism um, again, but that's, those are roots from, from my playing career. Mm-hmm. And I know since you love fo- football, you probably also watch um, college sports, right? Do you? Yeah, of course. Um, so what's your take on NIL deals now being, you know, official and approved? Yeah, get your money. That's my take. Like, yeah. I want <laughs> I want everybody to get paid. Because here's the thing about college sports is, like I said, not everybody's going to make it to the NFL or the mm-hmm. NBA or professionally or get paid to be a professional. And, you know, and that's OK. But the, the real like travesty around players not being able to get paid in college is that because that's your peak, that's a peak of a talent that you were born with mm-hmm. and you have no ability to monetize it. So it comes and goes and you have nothing to show for. So what NIL does is for those players who might not have an NFL career or might not be an all-star or you know might not even have a professional sport to go to after college, um, it gives them the opportunity to monetize their own ability and experience. And like I said, that is everything that I'm about. I want everybody to be able to maximize your own, you know, persona, your ability, your experience, because I think there's value to it. And this gives the college athletes a chance to get that value back when it's at its peak. Mm -hmm. What are some lessons that you could, that you've done yourself that you could maybe tell, you know, other college athletes to do or not do? (laughs) Yeah, I would say... I wish I wish more college athletes would approach college athletics like it's a like it's a job because it is even mm-hmm. if you're not making a bunch of NIL money. Um, and, you know, we could debate on what the value of an education is, depending on what university you're at. But that is a transaction. It's a contract. Anyone who plays college sports signs a contract. And in that contract, you render athletic services for, you know, room, board, tuition and a scholarship. And that is. That makes you a professional. And so if I could tell any college athlete or any young athlete to begin that process early, I know it's you're young and you want to enjoy college and all those things. I think um, the earlier you start to wrap your mind around being a professional there, you can still enjoy yourself, but there is just a professionalism that needs to come. And the transition from being a kid to getting paid, which is essentially what you're doing, 
that I think sets you up better for business. Now, also business isn't for everybody. So I don't yeah. want everyone to think that they should rush into being an entrepreneur or starting their own company or, you know, kind of jumping into this rat race. It's competitive. It's exhausting. Um, <laughs> you know, it's sometimes thankless and there's no guarantee to success, you know, but for those who wake up early, put it a whole lot of work in and stay up late. Typically you're rewarded and, you know, you see more than the people you're competing against. That's not for everybody, but yeah. in this game, if you're going to jump in here, that mindset that you have as an athlete will, will benefit you greatly. Yeah. Do you think that that NIL deals can, um, I guess, negatively impact the um, NFL at all? in terms of how much they pay professional athletes down the line? I don't know if it'll I don't know if it'll impact the amount. I do think eventually we'll get there. I think quickly too. I think there was actually uh, a couple of quarterbacks this year that or players that came out early that with the NIL space, the teams were trying to put together packages to get them to stay an extra year. Right. And so mm. to your point, you only have a certain amount of eligibility in college. So you have to go at some at some point. But there's going to be players in the near future who are going to take pay cuts from playing college to going to the NFL. And at that stage, the NFL is going to have to do some soul searching, right? I'm yeah. going to be like, hey, there's more and more people opting out of coming to our league to stay in college. And just from, a again, a PR perspective, being the elite league, that's probably not something you want to be out there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, remember that show, The Game? Of course. <laughs> so, of course. did you watch that? I did. I was a big. I was. I was. A big <laughs> I used to watch literally every episode. I didn't watch the reboot. No, no, yeah, no. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm OG. Derwin, no. <laughs> all of that. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, I think about that show often because that's such like a you know fan favorite for a lot of us. Um, mm -hmm. and I was thinking. Do you think the whole like rookie hazing culture can end now because of NIL deals since these college athletes are now, you know, superstars in their own right? Or no, they still got to go through it. Nah, because they'll all be <laughs> superstars. The thing about being a rookie coming from college is your superstar status, depending on where you're at, it doesn't really matter once you get uh -huh. like inside the NFL walls. The big you're leagues. Like, yeah. It's like everything, man. It's like, it's like being the popular eighth grader and then going to high school. <laughs> like... There is no value to being a popular eighth grader once you get to high school. Like you right. gotta kind of re-earn that that <laughs> status. Um and the NFL is, you know, it's again, for people that don't approach it like a job, a lot of times rookies come in like kids. And they they are. They're young, it's first time getting paid, it's the first time, you know, um, kind of with this amount of pressure and responsibility. And then you got 32-year-old, 33-year-old <laughs> guys who've been doing it for 13 years. They got families to feed. And it's just a different process being, you know, playing against grown men and, and having to maintain these jobs and positions. So I don't know if NIL will affect rookie hazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think. But, you know, I, I think it's a good opportunity. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, um, did you think the game was realistic at all or was it just for entertainment for you? There was a lot of entertainment to it. Yeah. I think there were elements of like uh, <laughs> realism in there. And then uh -huh. I think there was some very unrealistic moments. But more than anything, it was entertaining. I, I actually appreciate it. I would literally watch every single episode, <laughs> like every week. And this is like when I first started my professional football career in like uh -huh. 09, 10, 
tan area. Uh-huh. And so I had a lot of overlap <laughs> with young Derwin at the time. Uh-huh. You know? Okay. So, I, don't know, I thought it was cool. I was a, I was a big game fan. Yeah. Do you think are there like frugal players like Jason or no? Yeah, there are. Oh, Maybe there are that frugal, but there are <laughs> players for sure, for sure. Jason was like on a whole different level. Um, yeah. But I would say the smart ones are the smart yeah. ones are frugal like that. <laughs> it be it's like, you know, I learned some financial literacy from Jason for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. He reminded me of Julius from Everybody Hates Chris. Yes. Just like a rich virgin, you know? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> okay, so my last question to you would be, what is your definition of a boss? Man, my definition of a boss is someone who is willing um, to take on the responsibility of the success of his circle, of the people around him, of the people that he's in business with. Because that's a pressure that I don't think everybody wants. Um, to be honest, I think they, people say that and it sounds good in theory. Um, but when you're tasked with making sure people have jobs, making sure people can pay their kids tuition, you know, have medical insurance, um, can put food on their table and that grows, that responsibility, that responsibility grows. And a lot of times, or in my, in my experience, the best bosses don't take that responsibility lightly. Um, and it's something you have to embrace. You know, I meet a lot of bosses or I meet a lot of people with companies that don't feel like that's their issue or doesn't feel like that's their problem. Mm-hmm. And typically that's indicative of the kind of business they have. And I don't I don't consider them bosses, so to speak. Right. Um, so for me, it's it's somebody who knowingly and willingly takes on that responsibility, you know, and. Uh, yeah, it does and does well with it. Yeah. OK, so now I have another question because you answered that really well. <laughs> so as a as a aspiring boss, what are some skill sets that you have to, you know, have and how can you prepare yourself to be the Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Boss that you do want to become one day. Yeah, I think number one is you have to um, be comfortable being uncomfortable. Number one, uh, you got to put yourself in situations to, to, to kind of get numb to it. I think especially for Troy and I's experience, it was so many people telling us what wasn't possible. So many people telling us we were wasting our time. Um, so many people telling us it'll never work. And if you let that affect you, it obviously will a dim your light, but also, you know, lower the ceiling that you can take it on. And I think one thing we did really good was in those moments where they looked like there was no other way out, we figured out a way, you know? So I, I think a just kind of being bullish on your own ability to figure it out is important. Um, silencing any noise around you. Um, and then the third thing I think is just being very, very detailed because everything, everything matters. And I don't, you know, not everybody is like that. Um, but I do think everything matters. And, you know, to your earlier point or what we just talked about with people's livelihoods at stake, that's a very important thing. And so when something's so important, I do think it's important, equally as important to be making sure I'm, 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 I'm putting in the proper amount of detail and, and thought and not taking any decision lightly because it affects people's lives that way. You know, and I, I think, uh, mm-hmm. there are ways to kind of strengthen that muscle before you put yourself in a position to be a boss that will, once you get there, 
help you um, help you track to success a little quicker. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Thank you, Hawk. I enjoyed our conversation. Oh my gosh! And I all I forgot that you're you're also an Oscar winner, right? Yes. Oh my gosh! How could I forget? Of, of hair love. Um, <laughs> That's really dope. I love that. Yeah. How did that even come about? Because you said you did production, but that was a mm-hmm. short film, right? Because I I remember watching it. I actually donated to the GoFundMe um, that Matthew tweeted. But yeah, how was that? Like, how was that experience? How did that opportunity even come about? Because that's a yeah, really huge so, so me and Matt Cherry, uh, Matthew Cherry connected like right as I was, maybe right before I was retiring. Mm-hmm. And we got on a call and he kind of, you know, laid out this vision um, for this film he had. And, you know, Matt was up and coming too. And he was a mm-hmm. former football player. And I he sent me the script and I remember reading the script. And, you know, this is a film with no words. Yeah. Right? And I got... Teary, I was about to cry. I'm yeah. like, yo, this is this is amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I would love to come on as an executive producer. And I sent the text message to my to my siblings and I said, hey, this is in 2017. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, I just came on as an EP to a short film that's going to win an Oscar. And that's, wow. you know, and then three, four years later, we ended up winning the Oscar. But I think for me in my career, one thing I'm passionate about um, is helping people kind of, you know, reach their destination right? Reach their destiny, reach their potential. Because I always felt like I could have reached my potential earlier. And I was always just longing for someone to be like, yo, you got it. You got something special about you. Let me help you. Let me help you along. And some people yeah. tried and some people did. Um, and it might be in my own brain, but it was never the way or as fast or when other people, it was always felt like it was always after the fact. And so in that scenario and others, like when I see people that I think are talented, I tell them. And so even a lot of the people that I do business with now or I do productions with or I develop content with are people that I've known for a decade plus before they were anything big, you know, but it was just me being like, hey, I think you're super dope and I think you're going to be a rock star. And from there, you build a relationship that eventually you actually are doing the business and the production with those other rock stars. And so someone mm-hmm. like Matthew Cherry now, who's now an yeah. industry titan, mm-hmm. right, it's, it's really dope to see Um because we've developed that kind of organic bond from day one. I love that. Yeah, I definitely had to put that in there because I remember donating when he tweeted it and I was like, this is such a cute movie. And when I saw you guys win, I thought that was like amazing. So now you're an Oscar winner. Like that alone is a flex on top of like everything (laughs) else you're doing. (laughs) That's crazy. Never in a million years would I I have thought that'd been the case. Do you have your Oscar at your house right now somewhere? I do not. Okay. Keep it at Matt's house. Okay. 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 All good. Well, thank you, um, Hog. I really appreciated talking to you. You're a fun, insightful conversation. So thank you. I I had a great time and I appreciate you having me. Back in that back in that bag again. Thank you for listening to Making the Boss. There's a lot more where that came from, so be sure to keep it locked for more shows coming soon. But in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Aisha Thorpe and on IG at beauty underscore marked. That's M-A-R-K-E-D 92. Talk soon, my bosses and bosses in the making. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.